Virginia, there may not be a Santa Claus, but there is a Galaxy Con, and guess who's coming? <laughs> it's going to be us, the Inglorious Trexperts in As Richmond, in Virginia. Inglorious Live Tour 2023 continues. Wow. Darren and me, Mark A. Altman, will be in Richmond at Galaxy Con on, uh, when is it, Darren? It's March 24th through 26th. March 24th to March 26th in lovely Richmond, Virginia. And there are going to be a ton of great guests. But none of that matters because we're there. We're there. We are a ton of great guests. We are indeed, and we're excited because GalaxyCon is where it's at. These guys put on great shows with great guests, a great dealer's room, and plenty of entertainment. And, we'll and be more. Doing, and more. That's exactly. <laughs> the illusion of beauty and more. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited, Darren. It's going to be a great chance to... Um, well, I was going to say a great chance for you to meet the fans. That's right. And, uh, for me to meet the fans, not you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'll be eluding uh, deadly scooter accidents. Oh my but uh, but I'm, I'm I'm excited because, uh, like I said, um, uh, the the Inglorious Live Tour, or I, as I call it, my farewell tour. This is like uh, the Who. You know, I'm I'm on my farewell tour, but we know how that turned out. Uh, they've been on the same farewell tour now for 50 years. That's right. Um, <laughs> Uh, 40 that was, years, a, that right? was a Godfather reference. Godfather <laughs> two, actually. Yeah, he died of the same heart attack since. But uh, but it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be great. Uh, Jody Whitaker is gonna be there. Rosario Dawson, Kevin Smith, uh, Bill Shatner, Brent Spiner. Um, no, this is Columbus. That's Columbus. <laughs> That's Columbus. You gotta I'm click talk- on the gotta click on the Richmond one. I'm talking about Richmond, Virginia. I don't think they have all of their guests up they, yet. They don't. Uh, but Vincent um, but is going to be there. David Tennant's going to be there. Oh, one of our favorite people. You know who's going to be there? Not only is Bill Shatter going to be there, Walt Koenig's going to be there. We love Walt. Oh, good. Yeah, it'd be good to see him. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe maybe we'll, we can uh, show him another movie he hasn't seen in thirty years. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes will be there. Gates is going to be there, and nice. uh, they're just starting to announce some of these guests. But the list goes on and on, um, and it's going to be oh, Mariel Hemingway from my favorite movie Manhattan. Nice, and uh, maybe. If we can moderate a panel with her, I guess she's there for Superman Four, but we can talk about personal best in Manhattan. Oh, I think they'll be, be go over the heads of the audience. They'll be like, "What? What? what? What's going on here?" Um, Sarah <laughs> Douglas is going to be there. We haven't seen her since, oh, uh, since Lola's. <laughs> yeah. Superman, that'll be great. Uh, Mark Pillow, Nuclear Man, is going to be there. Nice. Of course, the great Barry Boswick uh, yes. will be there, star of such legendary movies as Megaforce. So uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to be there. We hope you'll be there too. Uh, Check out galaxycon.com for all the details. And we'll see you in Richmond, Virginia this March. Hey, Darren, have you heard about Trexpress Plus yet? Heard about it. We've we've done it. It's amazing. Of course I've heard about it. It's so cool. You're getting the whole Trexpress experience, but you're also getting a new podcast from us the inglorious experts deck 78 this is true it's it's like a it's like hanging uh with us in the lounge on a starship but also cool guests talking about cool subjects trek adjacent topics like right. alien battle beyond the stars robocop logan's run the black hole you name it and we'll, uh, we'll, you know we'll be there who knows there might be a little uh, one about the godfather someday Oh, that'd be fun. Maybe I want to do that. Maybe won't be able to refuse that. <laughs> they won't indeed. So it's really easy to join. If you want to support uh, the podcast and become a member of Trexpress Plus to get all the, the great Trexpress Plus goodness, 
You want to go to trexpertsplus.com, trexpertsplus.com and one take off one for savings. Out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it, it, you, you can sign up. It's very easy. And then from there on out, you can enjoy the full experience and you can be find your way chosen. to deck 78, the hidden deck of the Starship <laughs> Enterprise and the Inglorious Trexperts where we hang out. Well, yeah, it's all good. Join us. TrexpertsPlus.com. Out of all the reindeer, you know you're the mastermind. Right, Ron Rudolph. Randolph ain't too far behind. Run, run, Rudolph. Santa's gotta make it to town. Santa, make him hurry. Ho, ho, ho! This is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Dockerman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Holiday Trexperts. Oh, ho, ho! We got a special treat for all you good boys and girls. We got none other than Robert Meyer Burnett joining us again. Coming oh. down your chimney this Christmas. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let me just tell you how excited I am to be with you boys for episode 487 of this countdown. Look, you've got the XFL voice going on there. No, this is my ASMR Star Trek voice. <laughs> if Marlena Moreau was in my cabin, this is how I would talk to her. You'd show her your tantalus <laughs> field. We know, Rob. You're the my. captain's woman, and you will be again. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. The beauty of it. <laughs> you know, I would, there was somebody who one of our one of our podcast listeners on the Apple Podcast who gave us a lovely review said, you know. It's too much of a boys' club here on the Trexperts. That we should, uh, uh huh. We should, we should watch. We should watch the uh, that those comments. Anyway, they said it with love. They said they meant it nicely. It wasn't a criticism. Well, look, how can you have a boys' club with girls around? You can't. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh man. Well, look. Welcome, <laughs> welcome back to another installment of our. Best 101 Star Trek character countdown. So exciting, so exciting. We've been counting down all holiday long from number 101. And uh, when we we last left you, we were down to uh, number 75. Uh, but before we uh, we fire the rockets, I want to... Uh, <laughs> that's the other show. Yeah, that's the other show. That's Deck 78 for our subscribers. So, um, but before we start, I want to ask you, as, as this year winds down, we prepare to enter uh, the wild and wacky world of 2023, and we leave the, the era of Soylent Green. Um, I just want to see uh, what were some of the highlights uh, on uh, sci-fi or just in general television for you this year? What were, 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 when we leave 2022, what are, what are some of your favorite moments on uh, TV that, uh, that really resonated for you this last season, Rob? Well, I, I'd have to say that House of the Dragon was incredibly surprising to me because I I couldn't have imagined it was be as it would be as good as I it was, and uh, I really really enjoyed it. Of course, Andor was a huge highlight. Um, you know, it's divisive in the Star Wars community, and I understand Is because. It? Well, I mean, I think that they you know Star Wars ultimately has a lot of fantasy 
swashbuckling fantasy sci-fi. Space Wizards? Space Wizards. And Andor intentionally removed all of that. And, to and, make it good. Well, yeah, to turn <laughs> but to turn it into something, to turn it into star a Star Wars, it, I think it elevated the entire franchise. And it showed the possibilities of what kind of stories. I think, honestly, Star Wars television has been hampered because they thought it could only be one thing. And yeah. after seeing the book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan this year as well, which were both crushing disappointments, to yeah. see Andor in the same year, was incredibly refreshing. And it was real, I think a real graphic illustration of it's really important to understand your franchise and what is it you're trying to do with it. And yeah. I think House of the Dragon and Andor both showed how a franchise can be elevated by creators who know what they're doing. Well, Ashley, I'm sure you'd agree with that because, of course, um, uh, we had high expectations for uh, House of the Dragon. Ryan Cundell is a good friend of, of ours and obviously a, a, a guest on both the uh, Inglorious Treks for some 430 movies. So we were wishing him nothing but the best. But he cleared the bar in a big way, didn't he? Oh, my God. It's like he he sailed over the bar and the bar was on fire and there were sharks. <laughs> I mean, holy crap, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, 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 I don't want to spoil it. There were so many great moments, but yes, I think the greatest moment in that show is the moment that somebody did not say Dracarys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have to agree with Rob too about, um, about Andor. And I think the thing that goes for both of those shows is it's not just that those creators um, know what they're doing. It is that they have a very specific and personal take on the material. So they are telling stories that matter to them, and they are not doing karaoke, right? Yeah. Like Boba Fett right. uh, and you know Obi-Wan, they're karaoke. They're somebody trying to do a Star Wars imitation, and it just plays false. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things we could talk about with all that. But, I, but the, the key thing is- I love that, that description of karaoke. Thank you. Um, and because it, it's, I mean, that's what it is. It's like, it's like they're just sort of trying to be something that they're, they're not. And it's presentational. Um, the other show that I, I think we have to, to mention, and it's to me, it's the comeback story of the last five years in terms of shows that were great and then kind of turned to shit and then suddenly came back and they were great. Stranger Things. Uh, you know, the, the first season of that show was amazing. And then it, to me, it nosedived like rather significantly, um, especially like in the second season. But this last season was was terrific. So the fact that we could have, for me, three shows like that in one year is insane. And the fact that you had like House of the Dragon and, and or new episodes for a while there coming out at the same yeah. time. What a world. And Darren, no, it wasn't just one hour dramas, was it? It was documentaries too. That were phenomenal. Well, I mean the uh, the uh, light and magic documentary on Disney Plus is amazing, un unbelievable. Um, but the uh, the uh, equivalent documentary on was it Vice uh, that featured yep. the interviews with uh, uh, Marsha Lucas were amazing, and I I was uh, flabbergasted to hear some of the things that she was saying in that. Uh, but the uh, light and magic is just so wonderful to feel like you're a part of it uh, happening all those years ago. 
and uh, I, I'm I, uh, among the rest of us am lucky to know some of those people who were there then, and uh, it's uh, it's really wonderful to see the lineage of ILM as a uh, as a, a visual effects house and a, a creator of uh, entertainments the worldwide. It's amazing. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I know you're a Better Call Saul fan too, and that sort of stuck the of landing, course, didn't it? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love Better Call Saul. I, I've, I've, I've decided that I like Breaking Bad better, but I love Better Call Saul. This just in, Gary yeah. Docterman. Yeah, I finally likes decided Breaking Bad better than Better Call Saul. You know, <laughs> what? I, I, I have to. I, I want to mention one thing that was a real disappointment to me, and that was uh, Apple's foundation. Um. To me, it turned out Ugh. to be just a beautiful mess. Mm. Uh, and honestly, I mean, that's that's sort of how I feel about the books too, in that they are wonderfully filled with big ideas, but the individual scenes are not good. Um, and they were able to capture that amazingly. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I, I think it it looked good, but uh, it just sort of didn't make any sense to me. And but I, conversely, I, uh, uh, Severance came out of nowhere Severance for Apple is, and was amazing. a triumph. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Can't wait for the next season of, of that. And, I wish uh, I could split my mind into the person that saw Foundation and the person that didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, uh, did anybody watch, uh, speaking of comedies, did anybody uh, watch... Um, Reboot the uh, the Steve Levitan series. Yeah, it's pretty. I I have not finished it. I'm about halfway through. It's damn funny. It's really funny. It's really funny. And again, I'm I'm sure it's even funnier for you guys working in TV. But uh, it's really really funny. And it gets better as it goes on during the season. Paul Reiser, sensational. Keegan Michael Peel, Ju uh, Judy Greer, um, really great cast. Um, and it, it, if you stick with it, it has some really rich rewards and it has some great uh, um, millennials versus uh, uh, um, Gen X or uh, probably boomers, actually. But uh, some really great writer's room stuff that's just super fun. And then if you haven't been watching um, Nathan Fiedler in the rehearsal, that show is a real revelation as well. Um, super, super fun. And of course, Barry with Bill Hader. Sure. And, yeah. uh, and I, I really dug... It's it's not the wire, but then nothing is. Uh, uh, um, we own the city with uh, John Barenthal, yep. another staple of the genre. But uh, this is a, a terrific miniseries on HBO Max. It's hard to keep up with everything, isn't it, guys? Yeah, I oh think the, the boys as well. I mean, yep. I really, yep. I really like the boys a lot, even though you know it's more puerile, but I still like it. Yeah, yeah. That, it seemed like they were just seeing how far they could push the envelope, and they ripped the envelope to shreds this season, among other things. Yeah. 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 Among other uh, things. I still haven't <laughs> seen the latest season. I just and, I don't know. Have you been oh, watching season two of White Lotus, which when we record this is not concluded? I've watched uh, again, I think I've watched four episodes of it. Yeah. I, I I prefer season one, but again, season two isn't over yet, so who knows? Right. Yeah. I, I like that show. I have to be in the proper mindset for that tone. Right. It's just, it's a very, and it's, and I admire the fact that they can create that tone and maintain that tone. Well, just, Mike White is, is great. I mean, yeah. he's, he's terrific and he, he writes it, he directs it. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a triple threat. I, I, I don't know what the third thing is, but, uh, he, he does do things. He has a really wonderful well. singing voice and he's, he's a Mike White Lotus. He's a survivor, <laughs> Mike White Lotus and a, and a survivor. 
So uh, there you go. But uh, we're here to talk about the 101 greatest Star Trek characters of all time. All time. All time. uh, All time. All time. And uh, and to start us off, Darren Docterman is going to pick up with number seventy four. Number seventy four is a uh, a a character that uh, uh, showed up in Star Trek Six. Had very it's not the only feet, place she showed up. Had, had very strange feet. Could not fit in gravity boots. Oh no! Wait, that's Crewman Dax. <laughs> Sorry, I got confused. Um, no, this is. Uh, this is the uh, the sequel to Jadzia Dax, uh, played by the lovely Terry Farrell. This is Ezri Dax. Me? You want me to work with Garrick? You're a counselor, aren't you? Assistant counselor. I'm still in training. Oh, come on, Dax. What are you going to learn in the next few months that you haven't already learned in the last 300 years? Oh, how to keep from breaking into tears for no reason. How to resist the urge to stand on my head. Things like that. Why are you standing on your head, by the way? Emily used to do it. The gymnast. She found it relaxing. Do you? Actually, it's giving me a headache. <sighs> Why can't Julian work with Garrick? Now, Julian's a good doctor, but he's no counselor. Not even an assistant counselor. And besides, he doesn't have eight lifetimes worth of experience under his belt. I bet he doesn't stand on his head for no reason either. That's a good point. Come on, old man, you can do this. All right, I'll try. I just wish I had as much confidence in me as you do. Uh, who showed up on Deep Space Nine after the uh, after the very sad uh, death of the previous host. And uh, she is apparently the ninth host of the Symbiont. And she's formerly known as Ezri Teagan, uh, who I think was a... Uh, uh, companion of the doctor for a while. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, she's uh, played by the uh, uh, lovely Nicole DeBoer and uh, very interesting character. She's a uh, she's a counselor on uh, Deep Space Nine. And if any place needed a counselor, it's Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> no one gets along. And uh, I'm not sure how much she actually helped things uh, on the station. Because uh, she was there during a lot of uh, a lot of troubles, uh, but uh, I know that uh, a lot of uh, fans uh, sort of didn't really accept this new character as much as they did uh, Jadzia, because Jadzia was a very beloved character. Uh, but I think as the uh, seasons went by that she was on, uh, I think uh, people began to accept her in this role, and I think that there was some very interesting sort of uh, problems that uh, basically changing uh, changing bodies will do to relationships. Uh, and I thought that was really <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> you know, it turns out. I, I think, Darren, you're absolutely right. There couldn't have been a more thankless task in any Star Trek series than yeah. to play the replacement of Terry Farrell. And I think, I think Esri Dax was a terrific character and what they did with Julian, what they did with Worf, mm-hmm. um, was really great. And it really also gave us a window more into the Trill culture in a way that we wouldn't have ever got had Absolutely. they not done that. Absolutely. And it was really, Nicole DeBoer, she is the unsung hero of that seventh season, which did not reach the highs of the sixth season, which I think is the 
strongest season overall of any Star Trek series, but she right. still really did a wonderful job. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's there's a look. It, it always sucks to be the second Darren. I'm not our Darren, but you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I am. I am the second Darren. You are the second From this Darren. Day forward, Darren I am Darren. the second Darren. <laughs> Dax got Darren, and you know, it took a while for uh, for Esri to prove that 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 you know she wasn't just Dick Sargent. So is that? <laughs> no, you know, you guys, you guys are. I 100% agree. I mean, thank you know, I was a huge fan of Terry's. Uh, still am, and sure. uh, she was phenomenal in that role, and she only got better and more interesting as things went on. They learned how to use that character, and so when she uh, was written out, um, you thought, "Oh my God, there's, there's no, you, this character had a huge, you know, burden to the, you, you know, and uh, to their credit, they wrote something completely different. And it took a little while to acclimate to uh, what Nicole was doing and who this character was. Right. Uh, but ultimately, um, it really um, is a ver it's very rewarding. And uh, the fact that uh, Worf and Dax were married and they really mined that relationship between Worf and, uh, and now Esri Dax. And of course, Julian uh, enters the picture again who had had that puppy dog crush on Dax at the very beginning of the show. So right. it was really interesting and, uh, and, 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 and a good character and um, just a real fascinating um, character. You can only see in something like Star Trek. So it, right. it, it which is uh, what, you know, when the franchise is firing on all cylinders, you get stuff like Esri Dax. So uh, a great, a great character and a great way to start us off. Number 74, Esri Dax brings us to Ashley Edward Miller in number 73. Uh, coming in at number seventy-three is uh, is a character I find endlessly fascinating. He he was only in um, I want to say maybe three four episodes of uh, of Deep Space Nine, but he made an incredible impression uh, from the jump. Uh, the great Paul Dooley played in Nobrin Tain. Quark was talking to Bohika. I suppose he really did have a reason to fear the Obsidian Order. Everyone has reason to fear the Order. I don't understand it. Garrick told me you were retired. Oh, I am. Have been for years. But I try to keep informed on current events. I bet you could tell me all kinds of things I'd like to know, Doctor. Oh, I'm sure I could. I'll tell you anything you want to know about medicine, biology, or tennis. Do you want to hear my opinion on the latest Nilimite alloy racket? I don't think that would be necessary. Have it your way. Are all the Starfleet lieutenants as brash as you are? I couldn't say. Mm. Though I doubt it. So do I. Tell me, Doctor. How sick is Garrick? He's dying. And you're trying to save him? That's right. Strange. I thought you were his friend. I suppose I am. Then you should let him die. After all, for Garrick, a life in exile is no life at all. Uh, he was the leader of the Obsidian Order, um, and uh, he was the man who planned the uh, first attack on the Dominion uh, with a uh, with a plot to destroy the Founder's homeworld in the absolutely terrific, improbable cause that Dias cast two parter uh, that uh, I think was uh, was was the moment that Deep Space Nine really cleared its throat and said, "Hi, <clears throat> we're here, and this is the show." Um, 
And uh, Tane is actually, he has a, an amazing relationship with Garrick. Uh, and what's interesting about it is that uh, you eventually discover that uh, that Garrick is, is Tane's son. Um, but it never becomes one of those things where it feels like somebody is working out daddy issues. Um, it is just, there is, it, it's more that Tane um, is, he presents himself as the model. Uh, you know, it's, he is the standard against which the Obsidian Order is judged, the standard against which uh, I think Garrick judges himself, um, but also, but not just judges himself in terms of his accomplishments, but judges himself uh, morally. And we'll talk about, you know, Garrick when we get to him. Um, but just terrific performance by Paul Dooley after terrific performance. Uh, just absolutely um, commanding the scenes that he's in. You can't take your eyes off him. He has a wonderful, he has his, his wonderful voice. Uh, and uh, I just, I love it. I love everything. Um, I love every scene this character is in. Yeah. Well, great. fine then. Well, and you know what's interesting? They always say that um, bringing in a relative, and they did this in Star Trek 7th season, Next Generation 7th season, that it's like, it's the worst thing you can do in an episodic TV series. But in this case, it really worked because um, Garrick was such an enigmatic character. And when they decided to bring his relative in, it was... It was really, really well done. And of course, the stakes were epic. And it just seemed like another facet of this man that had so many layers to, to peel away that it, it, you never felt that it was pandering or that it wasn't the way they should have gone. Right. No, and his, uh, his apparent death in uh, the Dias cast is handled so well. It's like Shakespearean tragedy when you realize that, holy crap, um, you know, this guy who we have, we have accepted as, okay, he's the smartest man in the room, no matter what room you're in, right? It's like, he's playing like fifth, like, you know, fifth dimensional chess. He's in your head, six levels down. And he just gets the rug pulled out from underneath him in such a horrifying, tragic way. I can't believe, you know, Rob is, is, is right when he points out how many of these relatives we've gone through, even on our list. Of 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 characters, you know, you're not going to find uh, Paul Servino as Worf's uh, brother and <laughs> homeward on this list, but well, he's uh, mother. <laughs> there, there are a lot of these relatives you're not going to find. Uh, spoiler alert! But uh, and Ember Tain is such a great character. Paul Dooley, you know, and it shows his range because at the time I think he was very um, beloved. Wasn't he doing Seinfeld at the same time or something? And this could not be more different uh, than sort of other roles that he we've was, seen Paul Dooley. He was in. certainly known for his comedic turn. Yeah, his comedic yeah. chops, and and there's nothing funny about uh, Tain. In in deep space, although Nine. the name is kind of funny, and uh, and anything that gave insight into Garrick, who may or may not show up later on our list, uh, was always fascinating, and right. that's a, a great two parter, and he's a, he's great in it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well that brings us to number seventy two, Rob Meyer Burnett. Tell us, uh, tell us what we want. Ooh, I have to say, this character is one of my favorite in all of the original series. Um, this comes from an episode that was actually written by Gene Kuhn. And it was part of the latter half of the very first season of the original series. And it's a, I think it, it's a favorite of everyone because I think for Star Trek had the idea that don't judge an alien by its cover. 
You know, don't, don't, that initial idea, whether it was the salt vampire, whether it was Baylock in, in Corbomite Maneuver and the Horda in Devil in the Dark. Mr. Spark, I know it's a terrible personal lowering of the mental barriers, but if there's a chance, I'll try. and waves of searing pain. It's in agony. Um, one of, I think, first of all, the idea that you don't have a creature that is at all remotely similar to a humanoid mm -hmm. was a great idea that it was very difficult up to this point in science fiction history, even the Outer Limits that had such a great litany of Oh, what do they call them? Cows or something? They're monsters. That was the nickname for them. Um, they were all kind of vaguely humanoid because there was it was hard to conceive of, much less execute on an alien that wasn't humanoid. And Star Trek did did it a number of times. Uh, even in the first season, you had the neural parasites in Operation Annihilate. But this character, the Horda, started out it was terrifying. Yeah. Joseph uh, um, uh, Pevney directed this episode. And when you first saw this creature monstrous, it could reduce a human to ashes, uh, it, it, which was also redolent of the human um, uh, shadows that were left after a nuclear bomb went off. We saw that in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it was definitely sort of evocative of that well, when we poor, saw... Poor Schmitter. Burnt poor Schmitter. <laughs> poor Schmitter. And what, uh, I mean, uh, what a moment of size for Schmitter, please. A moment, and, you know, the revelation at the end of this episode was when I was a little kid falling in love with the original series, this episode blew my mind. Much like Arena blew my mind. You know, when Kirk didn't kill kill the Gorn. And when you when you got to the end of this and you find out not only is this monstrous creature really benevolent, but a mother. You know, a woman, a female. And she's just protecting her offspring. And that's a different um, episode. No, it's not. <laughs> right, well, she doesn't have offspring yet, but she gets them in. It was so, I mean, I remember as a kid, the, the wonder of Spock mind-melding with this yeah. non-humanoid entity and Kirk looking on. There was truly a sense of wonder in this episode and, 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 and where science fiction, you know, could take you. And then, and then at the end, the end that not only had they all made peace, but then the Horda was... Put to work 
working yeah. this mining colony. They're like, well, we'll help you. We'll help you mine what you need to mine here. <laughs> what do you yeah. need? And suddenly, by the end of this episode, uh, the Hordas were were actually working with the miners to right. in, in tandem. And then, of course, the the wonder of this creature was then later picked up by people, Star Trek novelists like Diane Duane, who later had Hordas enter Starfleet. Right. And Ensign Narat was a character in, in her many Star Trek novels. And I love that idea. No haze eye. Yeah. You know, I mean, who's to say that, you know, when Carol Marcus says, you know, it took Starfleet engineers, Corps of Engineers, six months to hollow it, maybe it was Horta. Yeah, maybe it Genesis was. <laughs> they do it. They do it faster, though. Totally, think, they would. I think that the, the story of how this episode was created is equally as amazing. Because uh, we have to uh, think about one of the unsung heroes of Star Trek uh, was a uh, a guy named Janos Prohaska. And he built the Horda just on his own. And he came to the studio and, and showed it to Gene Kuhn. And Gene said, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm going to write an episode around this. And the weekend passed and there it was. Um, so it's an amazing story. And uh, we need to. We need to hail both Gene Kuhn for an amazing idea, but uh, Janusz Prochaska for doing this basically on his own yeah. and creating something completely wonderful and alien and uh, uh, worthy of Star Trek. I'm yes. so glad you said that because uh, I, I think the story, it speaks to the ingenuity of the original Star Trek. Yeah. You know, is it just uh, that uh, he would conceive, Prochaska conceived of this incredible creature. He loved making these creatures and trying yeah. to impress Gene and Gene. And then for Gene Kuhn to see this walking carpet or rolling yeah. carpet and say, I know exactly what to do with this. And then I write mean, one of the great Star Trek episodes of all time. Certainly one of the most potent messages of any Star Trek. I mean, it's so much... Uh, it lands so much more powerfully than something like "Let That Be Your Your, your, your Last Battlefield," which gets yeah. all the press, you know. Right. But "Devil in the Dark" is really idic in a in a nutshell. And another thing that it has that's not on screen is the amazing title of the episode: yeah. "The Devil <laughs> in the Dark." It's not the offspring, you know. Right. It's not the eggs. You're it's right. not. Uh, you know, it's, it's devil in the it's dark. It's not miners beware. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not coal miners' daughter. And um, can I, I got to give a shout out to something, you know, it, it's what, 50, 55, 56 years later since this episode came out. One of my very favorite effects in the original series is the Horda's wound after the silicon has been cut off of it. Yeah. I don't know what they use, like this white pussy. <laughs> you see the, I don't know what that is, but to this day, I find that to be totally convincing. Yeah. And every time I see it, I feel bad. You know, and McCoy's got to fix it. Yeah. Well, so and plus the Vulcan mind meld, you know, how it's so great how necessity was the mother invention with with the uh, the nerve pinch and the the mind meld and it's like how can we make Spock feel alien and avoid all this exposition and right. I mean it's just genius yeah so it really is and okay. the sound the horda makes when it moves oh yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> that's so good <laughs> wait that's not the sound is it yeah Ashley no wacko 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 well, Ashley, we got something for you to talk about now. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get you out of the post sound and get you back on the list with number seventy one. Uh, <laughs> uh, number seventy one, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. 
Uh, number 71 is is played by, man, there's so many great actors on Deep Space Nine. The casting yep. on that show, off the hook. Um, and certainly the casting here was gold. Um, William Sadler, who uh, you will probably remember, uh, those of you out in, in audience land, uh, as playing Death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and the villain in Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Uh, Another and I believe, Christmas movie. Which, which Christmas movie? Oh, I yeah, it too. was a Christmas movie. You're right. It happened at Christmas. And Ed, wasn't he Ed, in The Hills Run Red? He was in The Hills Run Red. We cast him in The Hills Run Red. He was the first actor we wanted, and we got him. Damn right you did. He plays, uh, really, in, in some ways, it's, it's kind of cool that it's uh, it's this soon after uh, Inabra and Tane. Uh, because Luther Sloan is the man who really birthed, uh, as an idea anyway, uh, Section 31 in Star Trek. Good evening. Are you expecting applause? Have you come to take a bow? I just wanted to say thank you. For what? Allowing you to manipulate me so completely. For being a decent human being. That's why we selected you in the first place, Doctor. We needed somebody who wanted to play the game, but who'd only go so far. When the time came, you stood your ground. You did the right thing. You reached out to an enemy, you told her the truth. You tried to stop a murder. Federation needs men like you, Doctor. Men of conscience, men of principle. Men who can sleep at night. You're also the reason Section 31 exists. Someone has to protect men like you from a universe that doesn't share your sense of right and wrong. Should I feel sorry for you? Should I be weeping over the burden you are forced to carry in order to protect the rest of us? It is an honor to know you, Doctor. Good night. Uh, you know, he was the kind of Starfleet officer that we had really never seen before. And, you know, we thought that maybe we'd seen it. Deep Space Nine, you know, colored in some some darker areas of the page. And, you know, characters certainly made very difficult choices. As, as Cisco once said, it's very easy to be a saint in paradise. And with Luther Sloan, what the writers of Deep Space Nine posited was, well, sometimes... You have to have characters sitting in the background um, who who are doing things that even our characters who wrestle, you know, with these decisions can simply do them without the wrestling. And it presents Luther Sloan without endorsing Luther Sloan, but also without completely condemning Luther Sloan. And William Sadler just plays it with um, he with this. Menace, but not an over-the-top theatrical menace. There is right. just something happening behind that man's eyes in his voice. He can just through small modulations in his performance. He can suggest secrets, you know, secrets within secrets. And he was always fascinating. Um, and when you have an actor that good, it doesn't matter, you know, who he's going to have a scene with. You know that it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, again, like, you know, he was Section 31 when Section 31 was still cool. Did I say that out loud? Was it ever cool? Well, no, you know what? You you brought up a really, but you brought up a really interesting point, 
Section 31 was one guy. Yeah. And and the whole point of Section 31 was it was not knowable. Yeah. And and by knowing it, you take away the whole point of what Section 31 was. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is that Section 31, they had another character on Enterprise, but Section 31 was basically embodied by Luther Sloan, and that was it. And it could have been some super secret Federation organization that was around since the Federation Charter or whatever, or maybe not. Right. And and the fact that he came and went and he could walk out of a room and he beamed away and no one knew, that was the whole, that was what made Section 31 cool. That's right. You mean and, it wasn't the custom com badges? Yeah, the membership <laughs> cards you carry around. And what what I what I find so interesting is in, in terms of a writing conceit, even the way he dressed was badass. Like it was yes. great costume design. The fact that they hired him and the way he spoke and the way he had a great relationship with Julian Bashir. Yes. You know, and, and and the way I mean it was that was whenever he showed he didn't show up to anybody else except to Bashir. And the way that Bashir was both uh, just incredulous and almost excited and giddy at the prospect of working for him, but also horrified at the same time. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Rob, because it's like Star Trek's like, uh, you know, great pairings in wine where you find, you know, oh, this goes great with fish and this goes great with chicken. And it was like, there are all these great pairings like Spock and McCoy, you know, which Gene Kuhn got. Then in this, it's Bashir... And Sloan, it's like what a great pairing. It, yeah, you know, just like it was Bashir, you know, and um, and Garrick. And Garrick. But, but but my God, but there's a whole different dynamic, and it is phenomenal. You Isn't know, it's it kind of cool though. Go, Harry. Well, no, I was just going to say to speak to that. It was really interesting because Bashir as a character wasn't that interesting in the first season. The eager go-getter. Look at we're out here on the frontier. I'm the best. And, and it wasn't until later that when they did pair him up with Garrick and Sloan that he really came into his own and and, uh, and O'Brien yeah, as a character. And by the end of Deep Space Nine, he's one of the strongest characters on the show. 100%. Um, and I just, I find it interesting that those two very, you know, dark in the shadows, you know, plotters, schemers, as the Joker might say, uh, were, you know, so drawn to Dr. Bashir, who we then find out, you know, is genetically engineered to be a goddamn super genius, right. uh, which is which is completely fascinating. I also want to say that you know what I think, given given what Darren said about uh, about com badges, I think if I were going to have a super secret intelligence organization that nobody was supposed to know about, and uh, was supposed to be a big secret and and blend in, and like maybe they exist, maybe they don't. I think the first thing I would do is make them easily recognizable combat. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's unique to them. Just so that you can look at it and go, yeah, it's 100%. It's a big 31 on them. Just so there's no fucking mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and how about, why not just do another thing? Give them a base and give them yeah, ships that's that are recognizable. And so if somebody wants to find where Section 31 is, they can go find the base where yeah. everybody works out of. Yeah. Well, before this goes, we go down into this rabbit hole. I, I, I just want to say you mentioned Sorry. Batman, and you know we we didn't have a chance to mention the passing of the great Kevin Conroy, who oh is probably yep. the greatest Batman of all time. Next Adam West. Next to Adam West. I just said next to Adam West. Yeah. 
So what a what a loss! What a loss! I mean, God, he could take uh, you know what he did to elevate that character over the course of really what it was thirty years from Batman the Animated yeah. Series to the present is really remarkable. And wasn't he just a gift? And and by all accounts, just a wonderful guy as well. Yeah, I'll yeah. be honest. I, I mean, uh, whenever to me, um, he was the animated Batman. And yeah. I just didn't want to watch animated Batman things that did not have Kevin Conroy as that voice. I yeah. just was like, nope, I'm out. I'm just, I'm, it's just not interesting to me because there's no reason not to have Kevin Conroy. Uh, he was right. awesome in that role. Yeah. And it just goes to prove, by the way, Kevin Conroy was not like some star effing, uh, you know, casting business where you bring his, oh, everybody likes Kevin Conroy. Nobody knew who Kevin Conroy was. Yeah. And they hired him because he was a great voice actor yeah. who knows how to create a performance with his voice alone. You know, yeah. and it just, it, uh, I think it's, it's, it's amazing how, you know, we now, this is me going enough on a rant on animation, but like we kind of live in this age where it's, well, you know, what, what famous actor with a face yeah. are we going to cast as this and not, character? And not show their face. Yeah, and ask, ask them to do things with their voice that, frankly, they're probably not trained to do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Kevin Conroy, great actor. He was, you know, a, a great representative of voice actors as a whole. Um, and uh, it, it's a, it's a, it, it's truly a, a, a gut punch. Plus, he knew how to give Ephraim Zimbalist orders. Yeah. <laughs> well, so did Barrington Steel. Bring me some um, tacos. No, that's I, I, Stephanie Zimbalist. Da oh, Darren, Darren, <laughs> Darren yes. do you, is Darth Vader in your house? Yes, he it is. looks like you know, he's, it looks like he's like he's yeah. like a predator, like time. He's like a there's something creepy you. happening he's, back he's there just, with like no, Darth Vader. Like, yeah, Darren, I love watching the podcast. I'm just gonna stand back. He's here. just hanging out. He doesn't wow, need to. Right. He doesn't need to walk down the corridor swinging his lightsaber. He just stands there. That's he's, you. He's, he's perfectly capable of being badass by not doing anything. Wow. Look at Kinda that. Kind of like me. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, my God. You know, sorry. This is just the mind is a wild horse. So here's this more This is why we went. can't finish this freaking countdown. Exactly. Okay, go ahead. But it's like, I see that thing in the back. It's like, wait a minute. What if the truth is that Darren really is Darth Vader, but he accidentally left his Darth Vader suit sitting out too far on the Zoom camera? And I thought to myself then, wouldn't that be the most hilarious way to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman? Yeah. Right. He leaves the costume out and forgets that he's got the bat costume sitting behind Alfred, I told you to put that away. <laughs> Why did my background change? <laughs> Your Honor, I am not a bat. Anyway. Well, we, we we should probably we should probably do a whole episode on Section Thirty One. Yeah, um, we should. because it was such an interesting conceit of Deep Space Nine. You know that in yeah. a, a in a perfect utopian world that you 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 need somebody to do kind of the dirty deeds to keep paradise paradise. Yeah. Anyway, we'll 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 have to dirty see about that. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Exactly. Hell's bells are ringing. Okay, yeah. so uh, number seventy. I'm really glad to see this on the list because, of course. You could have said no, and I'm talking about uh, none <laughs> That's other. That's not than how they said it, though. Hey, you could <laughs> have said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know they weren't that badass. They were more like you couldn't have said no. So anyway, uh, they are, of course. I'm talking about the binars. The binars. Ha, 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 ha.
question about the binars? Why not just ask them? What is that high-pitched sound you make? That is our primary language. How can you process information at that speed? We store information with these buffers. We receive information all the time and save it until we need it. How did you happen to develop this ability? It happened over a long period of time. To have a society so intermixed with computers, it has tremendous advantages. And a few disadvantages. Now, this was such... Again, this is very early in the first season. It was like, oh, so the show is going to have some science fiction. Right. Oh, huh. the show might be good. Look at this cool alien conceit that they came up with. That's nothing like the original series. That is like this really neat... Uh, um, a group of characters that basically are aliens that uh, their consciousness is all in a big uh, mainframe or something. So, uh, and they they finish each other's sentences and sandwiches, I presume as well. And uh, they are the binars, and they're at the center of a delightful episode called one zero zero one zero zero one zero one zero one one zero one. No, it's one one zero zero one. By the way, one. Okay, thank you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> we love the binars, don't we? They're great. Well, I think you and I are the biggest proponents of this episode. Oh, I love this episode too. Yeah, it's it's I, a I, space I, talk. I I think it it should have been called uh, back in a minuet. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if she makes our list. But uh, but this was great. It was great to see the way that the characters all dealt with the binars because they they tended to flummox everyone except. Wesley, yeah. who seemed to be mm. able to talk to them because he was like a, a computer dork. guy. He was a dork, yeah, just like them. <laughs> and uh, but they were, you know, it was great because this is before every alien became like a weird forehead. Like right. they, they they had like uh, these cool matching costumes, and they had the full prosthetic appliance, and they really felt alien. They felt alien. I I think that was something that was really cool. And again, it was like there were a couple episodes early in the first season that sort of marked next generation's territory and 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 gave you hope that the show would mature into something special and this was one of them uh you know and there are a couple other terrific episodes that season we we've talked about in other episodes why you know first season tends to get a bad rap or or or, or is misunderstood um and certainly this this is a standout not only one of the best episodes of season one, but perhaps one of the best episodes. Having been watching it recently again on Pluto, I can say that this is also one of the better episodes, you know, of, of Next Generation. Because, you know, it's funny because unlike the original series where everybody remembers it because there's only 79, everybody remembers every episode sort of intimately who's a fan, right? Next Generation, there's so many episodes, you tend to just remember, like, yesterday's Enterprise and Best of Both Worlds and Inner Light, you know, and, like, the highlight, the highlight reel. Right. But, man, there's some bad episodes. There are some really bad episodes. I mean, I know because I've been watching Pluto, and uh, <laughs> my, my wife is fascinated. Every time she comes, she says, like, why? I keep finding you watching Pluto. What is going on here? Like, why, why you know, are you watching the in order? I said, no, just because I don't need like, to make a decision. It's Damn my it, way. Woman. The Royale right. is on. Leave me alone. I'm just like, I, I, I turn it on and I'm curious. It's like r Russian roulette. Like, is it going to be, uh, you know, home soil or is it going to be yesterday's enterprise? We don't know. And uh, it's, and then there's some episodes I don't even remember ever being made, but it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's been very interesting to, uh, to, uh, they're on the ninth planet. 
There is no ninth planet. Well, there, you know, this episode also, it first of all, it it reuses uh, space dock space from Star Trek changes Three. Changes the scale. And oh, you know, here we go but, again. Yeah, no, but Mike, Mike Akuda told me when we were doing the the documentaries, we had this long conversation about this, and you know, he told me something really interesting. He, he you know, he he went to Bob Justman and said, "Look, um, can't we put a docking clamp on the outside of the station or something to deal with the, the scale issue?" And Bob oh. Justman told him, "Look, we either reuse this footage, and to be fair, they did a beautiful job inserting the Enterprise D." into the footage yeah. from Star Trek 3, or we don't have a space station at all. Right. And, Open and, to television. You know, and for, for me, uh, it's, it's like as a, as a longtime fan, you have to make allowances. This is like Spock smiling in the cage and how in modern Star Trek, they turn it into a whole character trait rather than understand it was a production issue that... It was gas. That, but oh, it added right. to the show and they added some really cool matte paintings that we wouldn't have gotten when you see crew disembarking into yeah. the into space dock. But I also think the use of the holodeck in this episode was terrific because the yeah. binars have to upgrade the holodeck to make it more of a lure to to keep both Riker and Picard into the holodeck. And the can now send you notifications. Yeah, the oh, now they're in Grand Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yeah, the character of Minuet, though, is a tremendous character. Okay, well, who knows? She might show up later, so let's not uh, exhaust No, but I mean, uh, but, the, but the idea of what the holodeck could be, and you understood overall what it meant to have a holodeck on the Enterprise and what could you use it for, and not just sexual <laughs> things. Yeah, well. But the idea, the idea that you could truly be engaged, I mean, Riker was actually engaged. engaged. He was... You know, he he. It was very interesting. I won't get into that, but very interesting. No, well, Rob, we got a real treat for you because if if the binars were something that you loved, uh, we got something even more exciting for you. Uh, not only an episode you loved, but it's at number sixty nine. How perfect for you! It is. Um, it, it's none other than. Your other one of your other most beloved episodes, featuring a, a phenomenal character that we both love. Yeah, you know it's funny. The way I love one one zero zero one zero zero one is the way I love this episode from the third season Agreed. of Next Generation, uh, The Survivors, an episode that never makes anyone's top ten list except ours in Sci Fi mm -hmm. Universe. Um, the this episode is a, I think, a phenomenal episode again, where not everything is what it seems. Don't judge. I saw it again on Pluto, cover. and it held up. It really holds up. There's first of all, there's great location work in this episode. Um, it, it's got the great one. Of, it, it begins the the idea of Worf as a straight man delivering funny lines. Good tea, you know, nice house or nice house. Good tea. Uh, but it also presents one of the most compelling alien characters in Star Trek, and that's of course Kevin Oxbridge. I saw her broken body. I went insane. My hatred exploded, and in an instant of grief, I destroyed the Hushnak. Why did you try to hide this from all of us? Was it out of guilt for not helping Rishon and the others when they were alive? No, 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 no. You, you don't understand the scope of my crime. I didn't kill just one Hushnak or a hundred or a thousand. I killed them all. 
all Hushnak, everywhere. Played by veteran actor John Anderson, who had over a 40-year career. He was in movies, but mostly he was he was a character actor on TV. Mm-hmm. And I, he was on so many different shows. He was on a he was a, the, the Odyssey of Flight 44 or something in Twilight Zone. Right. The one where they fly back with a the, he's a pilot of a commercial jet that ends up flying back to the dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, 65 million years ago. But the the idea of this this episode ultimately, uh, John Anderson, like other Star Trek characters before him, like Flint, is basically an immortal. He's been traveling around the universe for thousands of years, disguising himself and and entering populations and living a life and learning about people. And he he disguised himself as a human male and fell in love with a woman and and had a life with her and they they joined this colony and the colony was completely wiped out by this alien race the husnock and um he decided to live there he decided to live there with an illusion of his dead wife and the character doesn't know that the the, i mean this our character is the main cast of tng does not know this and he gins up you do this whole fictitious event where these aliens are coming back, he wants them gone so he can live his imaginary life with his imaginary wife. And in that way, is this, my this really beautiful is house? not his beautiful house. And it's not his beautiful wife. I mean, and then, and then, of course, I mean, what's what's amazing is that at the end, he's revealed to be a, uh, an alien called a Dowd, who's thousands of years old. And it's one of my favorite moments of Patrick Stewart's acting ever. You could not Where understand Kevin the Uxbridge, scope of my crime. Yeah, he says he says this great quote. He says, I didn't... When you find out that the Husnock killed these people, Kevin Uxbridge is so... He's as powerful as or, or the Organians. He's as powerful as any race we've ever met in Star Trek. He says, I didn't kill just one Husnock or a hundred or a thousand. I killed them all. All Husnock everywhere. He committed genocide against the race. They're not even on memory alpha. They're gone. Yeah, they are gone. Yeah. And what Patrick Stewart is looking at him, and you see in his face, we, we don't, under, I, 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 he can't even comprehend the scope of his crime. He's 100% more effective than Thanos. Yes. He really is. That sounds like his dad. But, right. you know, and it's funny because Jonathan Frakes, John Anderson played Jonathan Frakes' father in North and South. That's uh, right. And and this fight is all John, we have left. No, Jonathan Frakes <laughs> told told me that John Anderson told him that that breakfast was the most important meal of the day because you stoke up the furnace, and you know, and as an actor, you need that furnace burning to do your job, mm. which I thought was a cool thing. But I I love uh, again great science fiction, a great science fiction conceit with John Anderson, and what a wonderful performance. Yeah. And I, I love this episode. You and I, Mark, when we first met, oh, love it. We bonded over this episode. That <laughs> not you and the I, bonding, not the bonding, but no, no, not, that's not a different the bonding. Episode. No, that's I just a like, one. I just like the fact that there's a, a strange alien named Kevin. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have a friend named Kevin who's kind it's of a strange we, alien. We've Real always day. loved this episode. I will defend it. Uh, it holds up. It, it's better than ever. It looks great. Location work. It's not a little bottle show. The whole thing where he's torturing Troy with the song in her head is creepy, and uh, it's just—it's really a terrific episode. Yeah, there's there's nothing to defend, and it's um, 
it is, uh, it's so good. I mean, and I love it so much that uh, I actually sat down with my writing staff on Dota and we sat down together, we watched it. And the reason why we watched it was I wanted them to understand three things. Um, number one, you know, how to convey a, a mystery with an answer that is just that huge and make it land emotionally from the point of view of a character. Number two, to get a sense of a character who is capable of doing something like what uh, Kevin Uxbridge did on that scale and how he feels about it. And then number three, to get an example of other characters, characters who are our stand-ins trying to think about and contend with the unthinkable and make sense of it. Mm. It is so good. It is so emotional. Those performances are so great. That final scene between uh, Picard and Uxbridge is just, it's one of the great all-time scenes in Star Trek. Well, because Patrick and John Anderson are so great together in that scene. Totally. And I mean, it's two titanic actors just going at it and and not screaming and just really subtle and and great and uh it's 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 just terrific it's just terrific so uh we love it we love that episode always will and uh if you haven't watched it always will you should uh you should you should absolutely uh you should absolutely check check it it out check it out out. speaking of checking things out let's check out number 68 (laughs) right now with uh darren doctorman uh, back in the days when uh, they had no idea what they were going to do with Star Trek after the original series, and they were planning on, uh, well, is it going to be a movie? Is it going to be a movie of the week? Is it going to be a series? Um, when it was a series uh, that was uh, referred to as uh, Star Trek Phase 2, even though I think the official title was just Star Trek 2, um, they came up with uh, this new character called Lieutenant Ilea. Transporter personnel reports the navigator, Lieutenant Ilea. She's already aboard and en route to the bridge, sir. She's Delton, Captain. Hello, Ilea. Decker. I was stationed on the lieutenant's home planet some years ago. I'm sorry. That you left Delta for? Or that you didn't even say goodbye? If I had seen you again, would you have been able to say it? No. Um, or as William Shatner says, uh, Lieutenant uh, Ilya. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Lieutenant Ilya was uh, sort of a, uh, a new type of character because she was more human than human. She was very, uh, very emotional, was in touch with her uh, feelings and very uh, uh, almost an empath uh, from the episode of the same name. Um, she was uh, from the planet Delta Four, and uh, she was uh, completely bald. And uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, got a great kick out of this because he, uh, you know, I, maybe it was a, a fantasy of his. I don't know. But she was bald, and uh, and uh, you know it's uh, it's strange that the uh, Deltons are so in touch with their uh, sexuality that uh, they express it in many wondrous and uh, different ways. 
And apparently some of the backstory that Gene Roddenberry had for the Deltons was that if uh, other species were to engage uh, with, uh, let's just say, uh, intercourse with them, that it would completely overwhelm their psyche. It and, would quite literally blow and, your mind. Yeah, and ruin them forever. Uh, you know, that may be a good way to go, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, we see her uh, appear in Star Trek The Motion Picture, and she uh, makes it clear that her oath of celibacy is on record, so she's not going to wreck any crewmen. Um, it does, interestingly enough, bring up the question of what was Decker and Ilea's relationship like? Was he sort of just in the friend zone and didn't get to uh, the play the reindeer games? Because uh, I think if he had, he wouldn't be uh, in the uh, situation to be able to captain a starship anymore. Well, clearly um, that friend zone, uh, you know, it, it, well, I mean, it's, it's it must a, be good. <laughs> it's a safe space. Yeah. It's so a safe it's, space. It's okay. But you don't want the Romulans to violate the friend zone. Well, the Romulans do a lot of things that we may not uh, agree with. They finally hooked up thanks to V'ger. That's That's correct. Um, So Ilea was an interesting interesting character. In fact, she probably would have made a good ship's counselor. Uh, And she did 10 years later when she was rewritten as Counselor Deanna Troy and uh, had the same relationship with Will Riker that uh, Ilea had with Will Decker. Not Decker unit? Not not Riker unit either. Um, but uh, apparently uh, Deanna and, uh, and uh, Riker had a, uh, a closer relationship than, uh, than Decker and Ilea did uh, because uh, he was uh, awarded the title Imzadi, which uh, uh, it means, uh, uh, let's just say it's more than a friend, friends. Um, and... Uh, it uh, it's interesting how this pair uh, is so closely related to uh, Ilea and Decker. They almost have exactly the same scene uh, from Star Trek: The Motion Picture in uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, that uh, that you left Delta Four, or you didn't even say goodbye, something like that. And uh, uh, Troy and and uh, Riker go through the same thing. Yeah, Roddenberry um, was uh, green before any of us. Uh, he was recycling uh, lines and dialogue true. and characters. I just want to make sure it doesn't go to waste. Uh, But uh, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, obviously they they had a lot more opportunity to uh, enrich the uh, Deanna Troy character and give her uh, at least three more things about her character (laughs) uh, during the show. uh, That, okay, she liked chocolate. Good. Maybe (laughs) Ilea did. We don't know. She can't fly starships. Ilea didn't have enough time to enjoy chocolate in the motion picture so you know i don't think that's a i don't think that's a good thing uh but yeah and uh, thank you uh, ashley she can't fly a starship worth a damn um I know. which i you know i, I find kind of sexist and I, I i think that uh uh ron and uh brandon, and brandon uh have a lot to answer for in that uh aspect but uh, i find it interesting the uh the duality of uh ilea and Troy. Uh, but one last thing that in the uh, script for Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, early, earlier drafts, the probe version of Ilea is called Tasha. So in a sense, she is both Deanna Troy and Tasha Yar. 
Wow. <laughs> Mark, Marcus, I'm just Marcus like, still I'm like just sort of seeing like there's data quotes. There's like all kinds of things. I'm just going through the whole list. I'm like, none of this is appropriate. <laughs> you shall have no vaccine. And <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. That's well, there you the go. Pfizer CEO said uh, we were cheating a little with number sixty-eight. We had Ilya and Troy, but yeah, legitimate. Ilya and Troy, we had them both. I uh, <laughs> and so did Kirk. So no, I, but just, I love you, <laughs> but I hate you. But yes. um, you know, I think the idea of having a counselor on board was really interesting, and yet they never really dealt with it in any meaningful way. The fact that there was someone that people could go to who were having in a know, couple problems. episodes, but it was only for the guest stars. It wasn't for the main crew. Because mm -hmm. that's what happens when you've got like when you posit, especially at the outset, when you posit a bunch of characters who don't have any fucking problems, right? right. And no <laughs> flaws. Know, yeah, they have no flaws. They have no dysfunction. So what do they do all day? They do nothing. And it's um, a perfect world of total pleasure. There's just yes. one catch. And you can't but say, oh, well, she does diplomacy. Well, no, she doesn't because you've got oh. Patrick Stewart right there and he does yeah. diplomacy. It doesn't matter <laughs> what your org chart says. And he and he memorizes goofy words. And I, I think part of the reason yes. Troy isn't higher on this list is because they really couldn't figure out how to use this character for a long time. Yeah. And it's only towards the end that you see her in Face of the Enemy and some of these other episodes where like, oh, okay, that's how we'll use her. But it was really late in the game. I mean, Troy was not one of the more interesting uh, characters, you know, despite the spirited performance by Marina Sirtis. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so number 67, Rob? Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a character that's been played by at least five different people in the that's history true. of Star Trek. That's true. And But I don't care about anyone except one of them. To be honest, maybe right. two, Majel. maybe two. Uh, yeah, that was in yesteryear. She was, she's been in alternate universes. She's been animated. She's been in modern Star Trek. She's, she's been, been in Stranger Things. Universe, you know, it's all that stuff. But anyway, uh, once again, obviously bringing relatives into shows usually uh, is one of the things that signifies their death knell, but not back in the 1960s because it hadn't happened as many times as it's happened since then. But in the actually the opposite. It was like, oh my God, oh, it's a relative. Yeah, yes. Wow. Uh, in the very famous uh, second season Star Trek episode, Journey to Babel, uh, the character of Amanda Grayson. I do not understand the question. What is it, Spock? I do not understand the question, Mother. You're half human. The computer knows that. The question is irrelevant. Spark, the retraining of your mind has been in the Vulcan way, so you may not understand feelings. But as my son, you have them. They will surface. As you wish, since you deem them of value. But I cannot wait here to find them. Why? Where must you go? I must go to Earth to offer testimony. You do this for friendship. I do it because I was there. Spark, does the good of the many outweigh the good of the one? I would accept that as an axiom. Well, then you stand here alive because of a mistake made by your flawed, feeling human friends. They have sacrificed their futures because they believed that the good of the one, you, was more important to them. 
humans make illogical decisions. They do indeed. Spock's human mother shows up. Now, we had heard about her before. Obviously, yes, it's another one of those things in Star Trek history where it wasn't clearly defined until later. So Spock, I always thought when Spock says his ancestors, one of his ancestors was human, when he says that, he just doesn't want to reveal a lot of himself to people. So he exaggerates. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I've always uh, believed in it. But um, he does say, Spock does say in uh, The Naked Time, an Earth woman living on a planet where love, emotion is bad taste. He says that in The Naked Time. So this is, of course, Spock's mother, played by Jane Wyatt, uh, who I don't think in the history of casting, they could have picked a better actress to play Spock's mother than Jane Wyatt. Yeah. So Mark Leonard's father uh, to Sarek, um, and uh, I, you know, if if a Vulcan had to have a human mother, I can't imagine a better woman to be your mom than Amanda Grayson. Oh, Mr. Cotter, I got a note <laughs> from <laughs> Epstein's mother. Please Epstein's, excuse Scott. Please excuse I mean, Spock from like from class today. Signed Spock's mother. I mean, a teacher, uh, look, she was a wonderful choice to play this. Uh, she was, she, she had a sense of humor. She had poise, grace, beauty. She was just delightful. And she, and she was Nancy Hedford's mom. Oh, you, that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that is correct. Um, but yes, I uh, I love this character. I loved her when I first saw her as a kid. And, you know, we didn't see her again until the animated series yesteryear that she was voiced by, by of course, Majel Barrett, Roddenberry. Um, and then, I mean, she was played by uh, um, our, our, our favorite uh, Winona Ryder yeah. in uh, Star Trek 09. And she was played again by Mia Kirshner in Discovery. She keeps coming back. And then, of course... Uh, you keep coming back. Yeah, Cynthia Blaze <laughs> played her flashback. But she's just a wonderful character. And um, she's the, everybody. She's the mom you want to have, especially if you're a conflicted half-Vulcan, half-human child. Well, I want to read you. This is from uh, TV Guide, uh, November 20th, 1936. This description of Jerry to Babel. Jane Wyatt portrays Mr. Spock's human mother in an episode that examines the Vulcan's family relationship. 60 Minutes. It's like, well, that's just the worst description. True. Yeah, it's accurate. <laughs> but it's totally, it could not make Journey to ba- Babel sound less interesting. I mean, it's like, that thing has it all. It got a shuttlecraft. It got Orions. It got action. It got a Look, fight. You're given Tellerites and Andorians. You're given one sentence to explain Tellerites, the episode in yeah, and that's what you go for. Miss Jane Wyatt plays Fox's mother in an episode she's that deals guest with star. family relationships. Yeah. It's funny that she was a bigger star than Mark Leonard at the time. That's How correct. do she you sure was. star at well, a Vulcan? I mean, my, my, mine would be like, Pigman gets shot. Kirk asks why. Piggy I mean, man. yeah, it was, it's like uh, <laughs> Benoit Blanc has to solve the mystery of the dead Tellerite, you know, while peeling back the glass onion. But how about <laughs> Reggie Nalder as an as an yeah. Andorian? How great is Reggie Nalder? Yes, yeah. so great, so great. He's so good as an Andorian because he's 
I mean, everybody may remember him, or nobody may remember him from Manchurian Candidate. He's great. He's this weird guy. Yeah. And and it's just he's like, you know, obviously he he emigrated here. It's such great casting because he just yeah. feels like alien and different. And it's yep. just like he's Eastern European and strange. And very strange. And he was yes. super thin. And yeah. just like I, I that's why it really pissed me off when XO6 said, Oh, we're not gonna do any. Uh, Andorians, we're just going to do uh, a Shran from Enterprise because we we don't like the Andorians from the original show. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. It's like when Berman said no antenna in yeah. uh, when Next Generation, which is why they never had any Andorian. It's like the Andorians were awesome. What interest? And they were like warlike, but they had principles and yeah. so interesting. They were well, so cool. And we I haven't mean, seen any of them in Andor, surprisingly. We haven't seen them in Andor. Yeah, they were a really cool species. And well, but we're talking about Miss Jane Wyatt. So we got off the, yes. the, the, the subject. The prime Over of Miss Jane, Jane Wyatt, Wyatt, if you're nasty. But uh, Amanda Grace is such an interesting character because she really uh, was trying to understand Spock. You know, she felt for him. The whole idea that he was bullied, you know, by other Vulcans yeah. and that he had these emotions they suppressed. And the only person that had empathy for him that cared right. was his mother. You're and a Tyrann, Spock. Yeah. And that she <laughs> couldn't do anything. And that that conversation, that scene yeah. in his cabin where she pleads with him to go and do the blood transfusion to save her father is so great. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, um, she, you know, when she slaps him, it's like, oh my God. What? Yeah. I mean, that's writing. That's it's drama. Great writing. It's great writing. And you know what? It, the setup that, uh, that Sarek is an extra special Vulcan in mm -hmm. that he, he was able to see the logic of this, uh, of this pairing of giants, you know, him and Amanda. Uh, and it is so great to have Sarek, the, the crustiest old Vulcan we've ever seen, uh, being the most open-minded. Yeah. You know, you can understand what he TV saw in Hogline. Yeah. Crusty old Vulcan. <laughs> this week on Star Trek, it's Crusty old Vulcan. Vulcan. Played by Mark Lennard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Amanda Grayson, great character. Obviously, uh, she's she's returned in many iterations, but never as potently as uh, the great uh, Jane Wyatt as. And I, and you know what? We the thing we didn't miss. How great was it when she comes back for Star Trek Four? What a surprise yeah. that was! Oh, it was yes. fantastic! Yeah, Highlight. and how the movie and you know, tell mother I feel fine. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, and you can't it's overstate I'm fine. like the impact. When of, of her being in that movie, yep. yeah, I mean, Sarek was back in Star Trek Three, and and that was cool. That was cool that Sarek was back because th this was back when supporting characters like this didn't show. You know, nobody cared yeah, about canon or this stuff. Right, and 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 then to have um, Amanda back as Spock's yeah. mother, that was so cool. Yeah, and, and and you know, especially having the same actress from 1967. Yeah. You know, 1968, back in, in 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 the movie in the 80s. And she was great in that, too. Yeah. And then she comforts, uh, said, I'm going to be a grandmother, huh? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Off screen, yes. <laughs> that, was, that was the, the cut scene from my mind. Okay. Right. Um, number 66, Ashley, if you will. So uh, our, uh, our entry at number 66 um, has quite a storied history. In Star Trek, his uh, his personal history spans two television series, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. He was first introduced in 
encounter at Farpoint. And what's really notable is he was essentially, you know, I mean, he really was a day player uh, in that episode. He was a person who was there to sit at a station and and give a line. Um, and the, the character is Chief Miles O'Brien. I'm not armed. How the devil did you get over here? I had the thought that if we could talk, we could figure a way out of this mess. The way out of this is clear. Talk to Picard. Get him to board the damn ship. He won't do that, sir. But he turned his weapons on a Federation starship to protect the enemy? I don't believe it. He will. Count on it. What the hell has happened to this war? Sir. There is no war. The war is over. Cardassians live to make war. That's what everybody thinks about the enemy. That's probably what they think about us. We're not the same at all. We do not start wars. We do not make surprise attacks on manned outposts. We do not butcher women and children in their homes. Children. We never had that chance to grow up. Played by the, and all the, again, we keep saying the great, it's just redundant, but played by Colin Meany, um, who is legit great. And I think was one of those actors who acted his way onto a television show uh, just by being first proving to be reliable uh, and then proving to have real depth and real chops. And, um, you know, our first, you know, hint of what this character was capable of. And I think um, is probably the thing that made Michael Piller just think, you know what? This guy needs to be on Deep Space Nine. Uh, is uh, is the episode of uh, The Next Generation called The Wounded, um, where, you know, there's a, you know, it's a it's a crazy captain. I mean, it's it's the, probably my favorite crazy captain story in Next Generation, but, um, you know, it's, it's Miles uh, O'Brien's former commander, his former captain, right? is attacking Cardassian installations and ships along the frontier because he believes that a war is coming. It turns out he's probably right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's what's great about the episode is that it doesn't just make it, okay, well, here's the captain, and then here's Picard, and now we just kind of have to deal with it, and O'Brien is caught in the middle. It's more than that. Because what's great about that episode, what's great about O'Brien is a, a history is brought out. There's an emotional history that O'Brien has also gone through things. He has also been angry. He carries um, trauma with him. And what was really bracing in the context of the next generation is it is not often that you get a, uh, a significant character on the next generation who you will see in more than one episode, who is really carrying um, a trauma that has meaning. Um, and the fact that O'Brien did and that Colomini did such an awesome job with it just really added to what he did later in Deep Space Nine. He was um, he was funny. He was smart. He could just, you know, 
uh, you know, he could just rattle off like, you know, very fun sort of lines that sort of felt like they were offhand responses to things. Um, like when the he's standing around watching the Jem'Hadar, like, you know, do a uh, a ceremony for taking their Ketracel white and talking about how they're already dead. Uh, and, you know, how like, you know, they are about to re-earn their life. And it's like, and he just sort of pops off like, I am Miles O'Brien and I am not dead and I have no plan to be. There. It's just, he is, he does everything that you need an actor to do in a show. And then they gave him great stories. One of the things that, you know, we think about Deep Space Nine as being a show that was about, oh, it's about the Dominion War. It's about, you know, the, the you know, bringing Bajor into the Federation. It's about all these big arc stories. And Cisco's a badass. Yes, all those things are completely true. But Deep Space Nine did quite a number of terrific standalone episodes. And O'Brien was at the heart of so many of them. Uh, one of my very, very, very favorites is one of my favorite, like, um, under the radar, you don't talk about it, um, but it's fantastic. Hard uh, times? Yes, hard time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's that's one of those episodes where you haven't watched Deep Space Nine, I tell you to go out and watch it. It will just crush you. It will break your heart. Uh, and how O'Brien plays a man um, who is stuck in prison for 20 years. And the relationship that he develops with his cellmate, the 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 um, his the way that he is affected by his environment, the choice that he makes at the end of the episode, and the fact that Deep Space Nine had the cojones to make him live with it, uh, even though it turns out to have all been planted into his head, that it was still a choice that he made, that he is going to wrestle with forever. And it's heartbreaking. Um, and he's just a terrifically written character. He is a terrifically acted character. Um, and, you know, I you know, I think like they, even on like Lower Decks, I think they made some reference to O'Brien at some point. I mean, he's just one of those guys. It's like, you just, he never fails. There's never a bad O'Brien moment. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because he was the everyman, right? Yeah. And uh, Star Trek never really had an everyman character. And um, it's funny because, yeah, I really like a lot of those Deep Space Nines that he's in. Like, where he goes undercover in the Orion Syndicate. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like the greatest episode, but, like, it's so different. And, you know, you never see a guy like O'Brien at the center of an episode like that. It, it was it was interesting because I, I don't like to admit I'm wrong, as my wife will tell you. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I remember uh, Berman, Rick Berman used to tell me all the time, interview him for when I was covering this back in the day, um, he said, oh, our secret weapon is is Kalmini. And I always was like, that guy? I was like, he's so dull, you know, he's, it's just not very interesting. And then the wounded happened, and Data's mm -hmm. Day happened, and uh, Layer Cake happened, and, you know, all these great movies. With it. And, 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 and it's like, oh, yeah, he's pretty awesome. And uh, and of course they made you know he, people talk about Worf coming to Space Nine, but really in the beginning it was bringing O'Brien. It was like why of all the characters this is the guy you bring to Deep Space Nine. But boy did Ira Bear and that writing staff know how to use him well. Yeah. And then pairing him with Bashir was so inspired. And you know by then yeah uh, Bashir is a great character. I mean O'Brien O'Brien is a great character. And I would have never seen that when he was back when he was transporter chief in the closing credits. Mm -hmm. I, well, yeah, and also, I mean, he like you talk about the everyman, 
a lot of people might not have liked it, but I love the fact that he got married. You know, he had a relationship yeah. with his wife, Keiko, who I liked. I liked that character. And yeah. he had a, a daughter, you know, and and he he was never really, he was, he, what is it, what's it called when you're not, he's not enlisted in Starfleet. He was, what's he's it an called? NCO. Yeah, an NCO, non-commissioned officer. Right. And uh, I, I really liked that about him. And again, a character that really, shined when they brought him onto Deep Space Nine. And again, the relationship he had with Julian Bashir was delightful as they developed that over the course of that series. And they used to go to, you know, do the World War II and the um, the James Bond stuff and the Hollow Suites together. Uh, that was so much fun. But Ashley, what was the episode where his daughter, they go on, on, that, on that planet and then she falls in that thing and suddenly she's like 30 years older? That's I was crazy good. Yeah, I was just trying to like remember what that was. It's like because like the children when, of something or uh, no, yeah, the children of time was a different episode. I, I forget what it was, uh, like six or seven seasons, but it's like heartbreaking. Oh, completely. It's and it's that's the thing. Like when you have actors who are that great, and you know you have you know worked with them over time to to really flesh out who they are, and you know you again you make them carry it with them, you know on the page and on the stage. You can get away with doing crap like, oh, now my daughter's 20 years older, yeah, right? Yeah. And have that not feel cheap, like that it feels like a thing because there is so much energy invested in his relationship with Keiko and his relationship with Molly that he feels like a dad. Um, and, and particularly a dad who's trying to figure out how the hell do I relate to a little girl? <laughs> it's like, how does that work? Um, and just watching him go through that is is always awesome. I think... Um, you know that uh, that that torture O'Brien must have been like. There's just got to be like, you know, you, you know, in a, in a writer's room, you throw up index cards, you know, of just episode ideas or things that you need to do. There had to have been like a couple of them that like, when in doubt, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, torture O'Brien, you know, because Colomini can hack, can can hack, can hack. Um, God, I mean, to this, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, there was an episode. I always forget the name of it. Where I. I he's like a clone or a hologram and everyone's treating him badly on Deep Space Nine. And you realize like he's not the real O'Brien. It's Whispers. Whispers. Oh, That's yeah, the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not a particularly great episode, but, uh, you know, when I first saw it, I'm like, how, why is everybody, I felt like O'Brien as, as, as the audience member. I'm like, why, why is everybody being, being so, why you guys gotta be a dick to O'Brien? <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> And and I I've come to really like that episode because it is when you find out what happens at the end, you're like yeah. oh, and it's kind of a tropish episode, but I still I love Colomini's performance in it because he feels so bad for himself. He doesn't understand what's happening, and when you find out the revelation of it, it's like oh man, that's hard. It, totally. And then you turn around and he's like in the mirror universe. He's Smiley, who like when you right. first meet oh, yeah, him, yeah, he's. Yeah. He's the sort of the downtrodden, like, you know, kind of very, you know, introverted, just the guy who's the engineer. And then he turns into the leader of the rebellion. You know, right. and he's fantastic. And it's just the fact that, that Colomini can do all that and that you that all of those things feel like O'Brien. It's just he's a he's he's like he's a great character that you don't I don't know why it is. But he can be this awesome, but he's not like, oh yeah, like Worf, you know, or Spock or like what you know, O'Brien. Like that he's, doesn't happen. He's, except he's not because he's not a caricature. Yeah. Right. It's and so he's funny. Not a cartoon character. 
because I, you know one of the reasons I think I didn't like him at the time, or did, did not like him, I wasn't excited by his character. He was a terrible interview. You know, he was just not a good interview. <laughs> like, and so I always like, oh man, you know, we just been because he didn't need to be because he was the only one on that show who was like working. He was a working actor, right. and I think one of the reasons they were so enamored with him because remember this is back when Star Trek got no respect. Right. It was first run syndicated series. He was doing like Last of the Mohicans and Far and Away and Under Siege. And he was like in a movie every week. Right. Yeah. So he, like, and, and, and then Star Trek was like the paycheck gig. Then with Deep Space Nine, it was like, you know, it was like, oh, okay, now we're going to really give him shit to do. Um, but yeah, it was the thing about a column. It's like, I never got the sense, like, he just came and did his job and he did it really well. But yeah. I mean, even the conventions, he didn't do very much of them. Because you know, right. it's not that he didn't care. He didn't, he didn't just. He didn't need it. He didn't need it. He didn't need it. And even now, he works all the time. He's just a working character actor. Yeah. So um, that's a great, great character. Um, okay, number sixty-five. No more cracks about the book. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, those guys who like the fancy heaters, uh, Joe Joe uh, Greco and uh, Bill Oxfix at number sixty-five. Ship's log. Mr. Spock reporting. Dr. McCoy and I are prisoners of the chief criminal boss of a society patterned after old earth gangsters. Put your hands over your head. Or you ain't gonna have no head to put your hands over. You wanna live, don't you, Kirk? You bet you do. But after I get through with you... I don't have those tools by then. I'm gonna call up your ship and have them pick you up in a box. I like this. I'm going to get one myself. Daddy! Daddy! Wait a moment. What have they done? What have they done to you? What have you done? Okay, Pally, we're going for a ride. Someday they're going to want a piece of our podcast. But, uh, <laughs> man, I love this freaking piece of the action and... Uh, you know, it was so fun to have the the um the the the, the Enterprise, Kirk and, and Spock suddenly find themselves in a cross between uh, a Jimmy Cagney uh gangster movie and uh you know it's a little, a little white heat and a little little Caesar and it's it's all in there. It's just the love of like they're in a Warner Brothers gangster movie. Yeah. And uh it's so much fun and it's so funny. It's it's not just the situation they're in. The writing is so sharp in that episode. Yeah. And the performances, you can just tell that Bill and Leonard are having a ton of fun. And you have these great character actors and Vic Tabak and Anthony Caruso who are yeah. up to the task. They are also having an amazing yeah. time uh, playing these, these gangsters who are just completely befuddled by... Um, uh, Kirk and Spock and the the contamination of the horizon from a hundred years ago. And it's it's kind of a miracle script because it doesn't it it doesn't make fun of our characters to make them look silly. Right. Our characters don't look silly. They're just in a silly situation. And I believe it's, it's a called very a different thing. A clutch. From, yeah, they're a very <laughs> different thing from Star Trek Four. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, in a way, it is Star Trek Four because they're completely out of their element. It Absolutely. also uses the Paramount backlot well. Right. You know, mm -hmm. they're back on that Paramount backlot, that same street that they've used a thousand times on Star Trek. But uh, they do a nice job um, uh, creating Sigma Iosha Two, um, where everybody apparently carries 
firearms. Um, dun, 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 dun. I love that. I just love it. That's an episode I loved as a kid. I was always delighted when it came on. Um, and I still love it. And I still think it's hysterical. And that Fizzbin, but okay, but we're talking about Jojo, not piece the action. We're talking about Cracko and Bell Oxmix. And there are a whole bunch of bosses. bosses and, but, and Teppo and uh, yeah, the rest and of them. It sounds like a Christmas song. And then there's, you know, like Rudolph. <laughs> and there's Teppo. And, there's uh, a lot of bosses. Uh, but yeah, Bella Oxmix, though, Mark, he just looked cool. Yeah. He exuded yeah. cool. I mean, Jojo Cracko kind of looked the way he was. He was a thug. He was a thug. He was a clod. Yeah. But yeah, but no. but Bella. First of all, Bella Oxmix is one of the greatest names in Star Trek history. Yes, yes. I mean, the, the Bella. You you just Oxmix. I mean, it, it's like it's so great. And he, his voice, everything, the way he was dressed, the fact he wore glasses. Yeah. I mean, he was again. And I'll tell you something. I know it's it's like how do you save money by shooting on the back lot? What can we do to? figure out some conceit to make the back lot work for us again. You know, we did it in Miri. Let's go do it in, in a piece of the action. It works better here. Yeah, it works better here. But what I love about it is that is, is this idea that a civilization is so imitative that they were so enamored of Chicago mobs of the 20s, they decided <laughs> that this was the book, that of all the things they could have done, and I know that the horizon brought it, you know, but... but but That's that, the contamination you're looking for, Rob. I, I, right. I know, it was just, even as a kid, like you, I love this episode because it also has one of my favorite Spock moments ever. You are an excellent Starship yeah, Command. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I just... I just it's, missed the scene where like where uh, Kirk gives the teamwork speech and then uh, then he beats that crewman together did to death with a bat. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. but, but Rob, as as great as that thing is, you're an excellent starship commander. I totally agree. I think equally as good is when um he's being all cocky with McCoy and says we fit that and the Enterprise should answer. And then it's a bang bang, a small little handgun in the world. Oh uh, no, it's so everything about it is great. But I love Jojo uh, Bell Oxmix. Yeah, he's I, great. I, I love I just love that guy. As a matter of fact, you know, it really kind of I was kind of hoping there was a lot of talk about Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek. Right. And if they went back to Sigma Iosha. And the idea of they're going to come after us for a piece of our action. Yeah. I'm like, if Quentin Tarantino was actually going to do that, I would have been, that would have been awesome. Because it would have been, I mean, would it have been later? Like, I, how would they have done that? I don't know. But I could, I would love to have seen that. Uh, the casting possibilities of Jojo Cracko and Bella Oh Bell my God, it would have been, it would have been so interesting. If nothing else, it would have been interesting and yeah. compelling. But I got to say, it would have know, been so hard to tell. <laughs> in a show in which everyone's talking about how Kirk's always seducing the women, this is an episode where Oxmick is seducing Kirk. You yeah, know, not, uh, yeah. Not, not romantically, but he wants something from him. And right. it's so great where he's throwing everything and come play pool, have a drink, you know, <laughs> you know, this woman, you know, it's just like he just wants these fancy heaters. And it's great. It's great. And he, Anthony Caruso, is so good yeah. as Bill Oxmix and you know, Vic Tapak is Jojo Krakow. I love when they infiltrate, you know, Jojo Krakow's um headquarters and uh did you hear that? You know, it's the sound of a machine gun gun bolt. Oh, it's it's back. just bolt you know, pulled back. You know, and then uh, you know, I thought I was gonna, you know, have to, you know, because then he gets because Jojo Krakow starts as comedic and then he becomes very sinister. Yeah. yeah. You know, I thought I was gonna have to go and 
find you and hear you deliver yourselves. And I mean, what's so great is, is this is an episode that's humorous, but no character is compromised for the sake of humor. I'm, All I the believe, I believe I said that. <laughs> you already say that I was like, you feel they're in danger the whole time. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. Yeah, and yeah. and it, like when Kirk Kirk's like in sense, there are over four hundred guys up there, you know, and and it's it's that's what you say. I only saw yeah. two or three guys there. I, I didn't yeah. see no federation, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> which makes sense. Yeah, you know, and that was a turnaround. Where you, I remember as a kid watching that, going, uh oh. You know? <laughs> well, and then how cool was it when he does the phaser spread and takes out everyone, yeah, on, the everyone on the block? Yeah. Because you love to see, that's something that people don't, you want to see the Enterprise be badass. You don't want to see it get the shit kicked out of every week where we're losing and we have to, you like being the dump, you know, because of course we, we have this incredible technology. Let's see it be you know, let Star Trek be Star Trek. Let us be dominant occasionally. Right. Not every, you know, and so like when Kirk's just like enough of this shit, you know, yeah. and it's like, and he basically takes out everyone, you know, puts it on stun. And plus he drops the whole veneer of being the gangster because he's worried. And he's like, you know, just set it on heavy stun and do the whole radius of the body and knocks everybody out. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to the last episode, uh, the last character but up, but up, for today's up. episode. I know I'm losing my my. I'm so excited about PC action. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Darren's going to take us out with number sixty four. The first episode of the second season was obviously a direct response to the incredible popularity of the character of Spock, uh, based on uh, the letters coming from fans. And uh, reaction in the press, everyone loved Spock to the chagrin of uh, Mr. Shatner. Um, uh, to the chagrin of the studio, he almost didn't come back. Absolutely, he was uh, trying to play hardball, and uh, then they then they brought out uh, Larry Montaigne uh, and uh, threatened him with, "You can be replaced, you know." Uh, but, uh, but speaking of Larry Montaigne. Uh, the character I'm talking about is not Stan, though Stan is uh, amazingly quiet and uh, stoic uh, in this episode. Uh, the episode is, of course, Amok Time, where we meet the woman who is uh, a perfect match for Mr. Spock. And her name is T'Pring, played by the amazing Arlene Martell. T'Pring. Explain. Specify. Why the challenge? And why you chose my captain as your champion? Stan wanted me, I wanted him. I see no logic in preferring Stan over me. You have become much known among our people, Spark. Almost a legend. And as the years went by, I came to know that I did not want to be the consort of a legend. But by the laws of our people, I could only divorce you by the caliphy. There was also Stan, who wanted very much to be my consort, and I wanted him. If your captain were Victor, he would not want me, and so I would have Stan. If you were Victor, you would free me because I had dared to challenge, and again I would have Stan. But if you did not free me, it would be the same, for you would be gone, and I would have your name and your property. And Stan would still be there. Logical. Flawlessly logical. I am honored. She is 
the perfect Vulcan. She is emotionless. She is conniving. She is planning. She is brilliant. And she knows what she's doing. Uh, they had, uh, you know, been betrothed uh, at uh, apparently at age seven, though that sounds a little bit odd. But uh, there, there was an agreement between the parents, as happens in many cultures, that they pair off their children very young. And uh, when the uh, ancient drives could be uh, ignored no more, Spock was forced to uh, return to the place of Kunut Kalifi uh, and take a wife. And uh, uh, Pring parted from me and never parted, never touching and always we meet at the appointed place. Um, so it's, it's really a great look uh, at the uh, at the Vulcan uh, uh, way of doing things. How does a Vulcan pick their mate? Uh, what are the uh, logically? The, I would think. Yeah, no, it is not. Uh, it, and and the uh, the amazing old procedures that we get to view as outworlders. It's really quite amazing. And uh, uh, look, if you have are the outworlder or are they Trexpert? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> if if some of you out there haven't seen a muck time, stop the episode right now and watch it because it is truly amazing. Uh, the the way that uh, the way that Spock winds up not being married is great, and uh, and Tepring is the engine behind that, and it's amazing. By the way, yes, that's all true. But as we record this episode, there's huge news in the world of entertainment. Bob yes, Chapek is. is out, and Bob Iger is back in at Disney. Holy cow! I yes. know that yep. is. That has Crazy. happened while we've been on this broadcast. It was reported. Yeah, That's the wow. Disney equivalent of like Kirk walking onto the Enterprise. And, yeah, totally. Uh, taking command. I mean, he had retired. I mean, he was I'm out. taking over the you center You don't seat know Bob. Disney a tenth as well as I do. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's literally Star Trek The Motion Picture. Like, Bob Iger basically went to Admiral Nagura and <laughs> the, the revered well, Admiral in this Nagura. case, Bob Iger is Admiral Nagura. And um, he, I, yeah, I think the Disney board went to Bob Iger and said, and begged how much him. would They begged for help. 400 they, of them. Yeah, they, they, I can only imagine, I think, Probably we'll find out that he got one of the biggest compensation packages oh of any executive in America. Can you imagine how much they paying him to come back? I Jay can't. Pack. And how much they had to pay JPEG to leave? Probably oh a well, bunch of fast his contracts. Well, you know, whatever, <laughs> however many millions of dollars he was getting, well, you know, that was what the fast pass costs anyway. So, um, wow, so this is huge news in the world. Yep. Huge, huge. By the way, um, I do want to say one thing, though, about Tapring. Yes. Yes. Arlene Martel, in all of her Vulcanness, Oof. was smoking hot. Yep. And 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 the thing is, not to be. I mean, her cunning, her logic, and oh, and yeah. her brilliance. The, her brilliance. She and, out and still, maneuvered Spock. Yeah, she was smarter Spock, than Spock. Smarter than Spock, and even Spock has to. He reluctantly, begrudgingly realizes the beauty. I mean, I think he admires her in her yep. in her. Greatness, and but then the there's Stan. She doesn't want to be the consort of a legend. Yeah. Yes, and it was, but she was. What was so interesting to me is, I also thought. I mean, Star Trek. All the women I ever had celebrity crushes on in my young life were all on Star Trek. 
Nichelle Nichols was the first. But but T'Pring was her looks. And she had been, I recognize her, she'd been in Twilight Zone before that. Sure. And she'd been in other TV shows. But the way that, again, we talked about people who can play Vulcans. And in Celia Lofsky and Arlene Martell, uh, Arlene Martel might be the greatest portrayal. She got it, man. Yep. She totally she got, it. got it. It is hard to play a Vulcan. Yes. As we've seen from God knows how many awful Vulcan performances. But man, Arlene Martel, and if there's anybody who's better than Arlene Martel, it might have been, and she's not on this list. So I want to give her a shout out, Celia Lofsky as uh, Tipau, who's sensational. And I think the only reason she's not on this list is a much smaller role. Yeah, the air um, is the air. What could be done? I mean, it, it was, <laughs> I mean, it, that, that episode in terms of cementing Vulcan, you know, that amok time and journey to, to Babel are such huge, yeah. but the, the, she just, I can't sing her praises enough. I was yeah. actually lucky um, back in like 93, 94, when I was uh, the director of development for director Robin Armstrong, I got to work with her a little bit, mm -hmm. Arlene Martel, and she was a delightful woman. Uh, she was so elegant and so poised, and I love. I, I had a mad crush on her, to be honest. Even though she was like, you know, could be my mother or grandmother. I loved her. Now she, awesome. she was to bring, and I do want to. I do want to acknowledge. Um, Regardless of what you think of uh, uh, Strange New Worlds and the way that they've written to bring the Gia Sandu from uh, Mysterious Benedict Society is actually pretty good as um, to bring on uh, the new Star Trek. I agree. I think but she, she shouldn't should, be there. Yeah, she's uh, great, and that that show doesn't it, it. Her character and Spock's relationship again, because they don't know Star Trek, they should have been Leela Colomi, as we've talked about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I do want to acknowledge that the, the actress gives a wonderful performance. She's great. Agree. Yeah. Um, okay, and that brings us to the end of part three of our best 101 Star Trek character countdown of all time. And it has been a hoot. And I bet uh, there are some more surprises coming in part four. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm excited. Surprise! <laughs> yes, yeah, surprise, surprise. So and I but, just can't uh, hide it. I, I'm loving this list. I'm loving this list, I got to say. Some really some I do great, too. great, great so. surprises. Some really interesting characters, beloved characters. Um, and I think that will continue to surprise, delight, and infuriate you as we continue with the next episode, part four, coming soon to this very podcast. And uh, speaking of this podcast, if you want to follow us, you can, assuming Twitter is still in existence, you can follow us on Inglorious Trek or in Instagram and Inglorious Trexperts on Mastodon and Inglorious <laughs> Treks. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to say it anyway. And uh, of course, there's no on way Facebook. you can type in Inglorious Trexperts on Mastodon and find us. So just get that out of your mind. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, um, uh, you can rate us uh, five stars wherever you listen to uh, podcasts. Uh, we appreciate it. It's a great way to get other people to come to the show. And if you're a fan of us talking about non-Star Trek-related subjects, you want to get Deck 78, and you can do that by um, going to trexpertsplus.com and finding out how to become a subscriber to uh, uh, Trexperts Plus. Um, and Bob Iger is going to be taking that over as well. So... Uh, <laughs> 
know, we can't afford them. But uh, anyway, on uh, I want to thank all of you, and I want to thank the great Mark, Mark Rivera. Mark Rivera is back mixing it up for us, and we're so grateful to have him. He's been such a loyal um, and uh, a valued part of the Trexpress family, and we're thrilled to have Mark Rivera He's back He's an on important voice in the new order, second only to my own. <laughs> and uh, gentlemen, I look forward to seeing you as we record our next episode. Uh, but until next time, on behalf of Rob Meyer Burnett, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Doctor, and me, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course. Shh.